While we all know that food and environmental toxins play a role in our health, you may have also experienced the reality that cleaning up your diet and getting organic shampoo doesn't always make that big of a difference. My guest today, Carly Lucchese, is here to reveal the hidden source of 75% of your inflammation and the top-down approach you can take to create wellness in your mind so that you can feel good in your body. My name is Colleen Cashman. I'm a sober-ish recovery coach, helping high-achieving women get emotionally sober so that drinking less or not at all feels like a superpower. Join me each week for evidence-based holistic strategies to regulate your brain chemistry and nervous system and also develop a growth mindset so you can feel proud, confident, and resilient with or without a drink in your hand because it's not about the alcohol. Once upon a time, I believed that health was a math problem. I simply needed to do more good things than bad things and extra good things to neutralize any bad things that I did like, the vices that I held near and dear to my heart, and that if I did that, I would win. I would be healthy. I spent years having very rigid rules when it came to food and being fully immersed in research on plant-based diet and micronutrients and supplements, as well as very committed to intense exercise and doing all the things that I thought I was supposed to do. I find it funny now how I had such high standards and moral superiority over my commitment to organic makeup and not drinking water out of plastic bottles and not using a microwave and having all of these conversations about what was right and what was wrong while drinking wine. I mean, is it is could there be anything funnier than the hypocrisy? You know, and we do the best we can with what we know, right? But I, for years, chased this idea that the answer to my health and wellness was in the science. It was in, you know, the elimination of toxins and the adoption of a perfect diet. And nobody was more surprised than me when I finally did the thing that I knew I needed to do, which was address the drinking problem. You know, we're not talking about a glass of wine here or there. I was a heavy daily drinker. So nobody was more surprised when a good year into perfect sobriety and my perfect diet, my perfect exercise routine, that I was actually more miserable than ever. Brain fog, belly bloat, and mood disorder, like crying for no reason, anger, you know, going from zero to 60 over seemingly normal situations. You know, I was either over or under reacting to normal circumstances. And I just kept beating my head against this brick wall that there was a right answer, that somehow if I changed my shampoo or added in a little meat or didn't eat meat or added more lentils or ate less lentils because maybe the lentils were causing my bloat. Like I was constantly searching outside of myself for the answer. And while there is no one thing that has gotten me to where I am today, I can attribute a huge shift in my physical health when I hired a coach who taught me how to manage my mind. One of the tools that I teach inside the next chapter is called Thought Models. And basically, ironically, it turns your emotions into math problems so that you can clearly see how a thought creates a feeling which drives your actions, which creates your results in life, which creates your thoughts, and it's a big cycle. And what I began to experience as truth is that by up-leveling, upgrading my thoughts, the quality of questions that I was asking myself, expanding my perspective, and addressing the sources of my stress, because I now took responsibility for my stress as being a product of my own thoughts and not whatever's going on in my life, by shifting my problem-solving skills from 
things going on in the external world or even things going on in my body, when I shifted to focus on what thoughts were creating my emotional state and then how my emotions were affecting my physiology, you know, the stress response and our hormones and our immunity, like all of this is driven by the brain. And that's what my guest is here to share with us today. 75% of your inflammation can be attributed to your own thought processes. And for me, for years, and for most of us, our thought processes are not something we think about. We're focused on what we're thinking, not, le- not necessarily how we're thinking, how we are responding, what else could be true. We don't see the patterns of behavior that we're trying to manage as a product of thought patterns that we actually have the ability to control. And now as a coach, my primary function is always to guide people into the thoughts of a situation where I used to get so in the weeds with this supplement and this enzyme and this amino acid. And if you just do this and your microbiome and then your inflammation will go away. And now when I work with people, I know the fast pass is helping them to stop inflaming themselves with thoughts. And then you can start taking the actions to explore, you know, whether it be food or an elimination diet or adding different nutrients. But none of that matters until you address the source of the inflammation. My best analogy is that it's kind of like continually mopping up the water that's spilling over your bathtub instead of turning off the faucet. So the water stops overflowing out of the bathtub, you know, and this is the analogy with inflammation. Most of us just accept that we have an inflammation problem and then we try to control it with medications or again, eliminating foods or adding foods or, you know, whatever. And we do not make the connection between the thoughts in our brain and the cascade of neurochemicals and stress hormones that keep our bodies stuck in a chronic state of fight or flight and therefore vulnerable to whatever genetic vulnerabilities we have or the environmental toxins that add stress to our bodies and exceed our capacity to process them. Like it's not the problems in your life or the toxins in your environment that are the problem because all of those are a given. We live on a planet and life is messy, right? It's your ability to process those toxins and solve the problems in your life. You know, it's it's not the problem that's the problem, it's your ability to cope with the problem that's the problem. And my biggest shift in health came when I realized that there are skills and tools that I could use to manage my mind and therefore alter my response to my body and the environment and create a completely different reality to that I could live in. This episode will invite you to shift your perspective to diagnose what's going on in your body, the inflammation that you are experiencing as a product of something that you actually have control over, as opposed to some mysterious illness that you just have to live with. You just have to keep mopping up the water around your bathtub. My guest today is Carly Lucchesi, and she is a registered dietitian who does specialize in weight loss and resolving symptoms of inflammation. But her approach is to go directly into the self-limiting thought patterns that trigger the inflammation so that you're better able to process your food and detoxify your body and fight off pathogens during cold and flu season. So we're going to bridge the gap between, you know, mind and body in this episode. She's going to talk about how instead of the foods that you're eating that are causing inflammation, she's going to discuss the foods that you're not eating and the overlooked nutritional demands of being in a state of stress. Stress is not just mental, it's also physical. It's all combined. 
And so Carly is going to talk about how it's not just what you eat, but it's also what you think that determines your physiology to the point where it's a, a four to one ratio. 75% of your stress is coming from your brain. And she's going to discuss the importance of having a two-pronged approach coming from the top down in your mind. And then of course, bottom up toxins and nutrients in your body so that you can heal your inflammation once and for all. So enjoy the episode. Carly, thank you so much for being on the show today. I'm excited to introduce you to my audience and to really dive in on the connection between inflammation and weight loss. Can you introduce yourself, who you are, what you do, and how you came to do it? Yeah, absolutely. My name is Carly Lucchese. I'm a registered dietitian and an inflammation coach. And I got into this field because I was tired of not being able to help people when I was in more of the hospital and kind of the Western medicine type setting. And I just felt that GI conditions and just this inflammation pattern that's been stuck on that starts to present as difficult weight loss and, you know, diarrhea, constipation or bloating and acne and skin conditions and all of these different evidence of inflammation. I was just watching people go to the doctor and try to get help, but this isn't an area that medication can really help on. So I just felt drawn to that to figure out how to help and just to be a resource for those out there that are struggling. What about your own journey? Is there anything that pulled you into this with your own life where you had an aha moment or something of your own where you realized, oh, I get it? Yeah, absolutely. So when I was working in the hospital setting, you know, raising a family and it was a fun environment to learn from. But during that time, progressively, my daughter was having more and more skin rashes and, you know, almost to the point of hives and she would have diarrhea almost every day. And she wasn't to the point where she was losing weight, but it was definitely there was something going on. And I really took it upon myself because as a dietitian, like that's kind of my job to figure it out. But I was feeling very lost because everything in my schooling had never really taught me what to do. Everything in my schooling had taught me how to essentially check these regulatory boxes and, you know, follow these flow charts. This is what you do in this context. And I was being presented with something that was obviously food related, but it wasn't anything that I was taught. So I was like, oh, okay this is where I need to go. This is what I need to do. And I need to figure out how to number one, help my daughter. And then number two, be able to kind of extrapolate this into the arena where there's a lot more people struggling and suffering. But yeah, no, once we figured it out, she hasn't had any skin conditions since. I want to ask you how you figured it out. But before I say that, I just want to confirm, affirm with my own experience in life, going to the doctor for everything from back pain to migraines to bloating to uh, all sorts of things, and always just being given an anti-inflammatory. Like an right. anti-inflammatory, or your inflammation is not an anti-inflammatory deficiency. You know, it's it's so interesting now when I look back that nobody ever asked the question, what's causing the inflammation, and how do you address it at the source? So can you tell me exactly what happened? You know, you don't have to go all the way in with your daughter, but how were you able to, quote, figure it out? So with inflammation, I like to think of it as the evidence of inflammation, all of the different symptoms that are associated with inflammation, you know, whether it be with your brain, with anxiety, depression, or um, brain fog, insomnia, it could be like muscle, it could present with your muscles, it could present in your joints and your GI. Inflammation is essentially the language that your body speaks, like your body only speaks in symptoms. And that's how your inflammation is going to present itself. So all these different things that you go to the doctor to resolve is the way that your body is talking to you because each of those symptoms means something different. It's your body's way to, okay, this is what's going on. This is what I need. It's just we lack the ability to understand it. And when we go to the doctor just 
puts this, you know, it like tries to silence the language. It's just like keeping its mouth shut. So then your body's not even allowed to express itself anymore. So ultimately that it maybe can make you feel better temporarily, but it's not really addressing, like you say, what's happening in the first place. So that's where it's just really digging into and providing your body the opportunity to talk to you. And I do that through my program with a start with, we need some testing, right? Because there's a lot of different lab-based tests that can be done that can help you to understand how your body was designed in the first place. Because, you know, maybe at some given point, you know, that you have become micronutrient deficient. And what this can do can cause some of those symptoms in themselves but then we want to even take it to that next step deeper and figure out, okay, what are your genetics telling you? What, how were you put together in a way where maybe you're having some genes that just aren't functioning effectively and that's causing you to overuse some of these different nutrients, whether it be, you know, your vitamin C, your B vitamins, your some amino acids, all of these different things when they get to the point of deficiency, can present as symptoms. So you can have inflammation that gets created from that bottom-up response just from the way that your body functions. But then you can also have the deficiencies, which this was what was happening in my daughter's situation, was just because her immune system was a little um, sensitive, right? It was getting overly offended to the presence of different chemicals, different foods, and that was causing her to show up with symptoms. And this is more of an ever-changing arena because with your your food interactions, with your gut, with your immune system, it's kind of this ever-changing environment because it's very dynamic, right? So we had to figure out what foods that she was essentially provoking the activation of her immune system unnecessarily. And for her, it was a pretty easy one. You know, there's classic things that most people react to. Soy is one of them, wheat, dairy. And I would say that like nine out of 10 of my clients react to at least one of the three. Most of them react to soy. So for her, it was just soy. You know, we pulled that completely out of her diet and she was good to go. But for a lot of you that are having more of that lifelong inflammatory response, just pulling out a food usually doesn't stop that inflammatory reaction. It needs to, you need to take the time to understand where the inflammation is coming from all the different angles, whether it be your body interacting with its environment from foods or chemical exposure or lotions or perfumes or makeup or all those things that can provoke your immune system. We got to figure out the genetics and micronutrients, but then there is a whole other side of the coin, and that is your top-down inflammation. And that is how your brain interacts with the world around you, and that can create just as much inflammation as maybe eating soy or having some wonky genetics and micronutrient deficiencies. So it really, this kind of a long-winded answer, but inflammation can come from many different sources, and it's taking the time to understand all of them will help you to understand that language of your body. So I want to say a couple things and then have you push back if there's anything I get wrong or you want to go deeper. But one of the mic drop uh, expressions that I've heard is that obesity is actually a malnourished condition. You are short on micronutrients, like you're overfed and undernourished because you're consuming foods that are perhaps causing inflammation and creating, you know, a downstream deficiency. But I like to think of micronutrient deficiency kind of as like the little ingredients that are necessary to process the toxins in your environment and to keep your you know cells rejuvenating and all of that and when i think of it like that it's like the little tiny ingredients that if you run out of it and you're let's say you're making cookies and you've got all of the ingredients but you're just short on the salt which you don't need much salt but if you don't put the salt in the cookies your cookies are not going to come out as they should and i think when I've worked with people on weight loss journeys, 
it's like when it's counterintuitive to think you need to eat more of something, or of course there's, you know, food-based supplements also. It's counterintuitive. Our first instinct is to starve ourselves and then try to lose the weight, which actually just sends you in the wrong direction. So the other thing that you said that I wanted to pull out is you said it's also the environment in our brain. And if I was just listening to that, I would probably gloss over that. Okay, there's it's brain chemistry, but what I'm going to what I'm guessing you mean is that it's our self-narrative. It's the story in our head, it's the thoughts and the beliefs. Is that what you mean by what's going on in our brain? Absolutely. The way that we take in the environment and take in the circumstances of our lives and how we respond to those circumstances means everything. Because what can happen with the adoption of a conscious or a subconscious thought is from each thought that we adopt, we create that cascade of neurochemicals, hormones. And what happens then is from that cascade of chemical reaction, we have a feeling, right? And from those feelings, we have actions and that's what can create because a lot of us were stuck in that fight or flight response because we're stuck in a space of reacting to our circumstances. You know, maybe you get in a fight with your husband and you are just, you're reacting to the words that he's saying to you instead of consciously choosing them and consciously choosing your feelings on purpose. And what that can do is it just, it hyper activates your primal brain essentially. And from that space, you get really stuck in that fight or flight response, which can then, you know, cause that adrenal dysregulation. It can cause that hormonal dysregulation. It can severely cause nutrient deficiencies because then you're blowing through very specific nutrients, that pathway that, that kind of helps to support that fight or flight response. And you can create in yourselves problems that way. So it's whether from an unmanaged mind or from a body that's feeling a little strained, that inflammation can be provoked from both angles. So what I heard you say is thoughts can cause inflammation also, and that our thoughts actually trigger the stress response. And the analogy that comes to mind for me is like driving and constantly pushing too hard on your accelerator where it just kind of floods the engine or runs through the gas. And I'm not an auto person, so that might be a bad analogy, but it's like you're using up too much gas and you're constantly accelerating and braking and accelerating and braking instead of just kind of going through life at a steady pace. And it is that stress response that causes the inflammation because stress requires nutrients to be resolved. And so one of the things that I know I used to think is that stress is what's happening to me. Stress is not something I can control. It's not my fault. I got a bill for 500 bucks. It's not my fault. My husband's an asshole. It's not my fault. My kid's failing in school. You know, it's like all of these things. And so can you talk to me a little bit about where the toehold is to control stress? Because I think it's important to understand the difference between a stressor and your stress response. Yeah, absolutely. So, and you're nailing it because a lot of times we do feel just kind of victim to our circumstances and you can't escape your circumstances. So you're just kind of stuck in that space. And then the classic ways to escape stress is to, you know, go get a pedicure, go get a manicure. And it's adding more things into maybe a day that already has time restrictions to it. So when you look at stress release from the context of what can I do to pamper myself, that's when you can get stuck in even more overwhelm and even more dysregulated nervous system because you're like, I don't have time to for all this stress relaxation techniques and medication, meditation and, you know, affirmations and all that stuff. And ultimately, it still won't change the fact that you're stuck in the narrative that the external thing in your life is creating your internal stress. 
So what I challenge my clients to do is really begin to understand that they are the ones that create their emotions and that it's possible to create your emotions on purpose. So given the example, maybe your husband's an asshole, right? So many times you can kind of get stuck in the narrative that I, my husband's an asshole, therefore I have to react to his words, to his actions. And I have to be defensive towards it, right? Or I have to be a little bit more um, on edge around him. And what I challenge you to consider is that the actions of your husband, the words of your husband are simply neutral circumstance. And you have the option to choose what you think about those words, right? And it can be maybe the extreme example of maybe your husband says you're lazy. (laughs) I I don't know. Pick something, right? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. your husband says you're lazy. So you could choose to adopt that thought and be like, wow, I guess I am lazy because he's saying so. And that's, you could choose to, you know, that, and that in itself is a thought that you're adopting. You're just simply adopting his thoughts. You could choose to think, I'm not lazy. He's such an idiot, right? That is a thought that you could choose to think about that circumstance too. Or you could also choose the thought, he's crazy. He just doesn't know what I do when he's not around, right? And each of those thoughts is a conscious thought that is reacting to his words. So the words in themselves do not create the emotion in you. It's how you choose to think about his words that can change the narrative of your life. And from those thoughts, I mean, even feel the difference, right? In those responses, Mm -hmm. you can feel the emotional difference because that last one, it's just, there's a calm that can be like, oh, he's crazy. He just doesn't know what I do instead of he's right. I am lazy. I must be lazy if he's telling me that. Each of those creates a different emotion and each of those is a different hormonal cascade that your body then has to deal with and process. Yeah. And I would even dig into the awareness, having experienced conflict in marriage multiple times, when you feel the need to defend yourself, in order to need a defense, you have to agree on some level that person is right. You know, I often say, if your husband came in and said, I heard you joined a terrorist organization in the Middle East, you would just laugh. Right. Or I heard you're an alien. You'd be like, okay, you're crazy, kind of like you just said. But on some level, they've triggered a belief about yourself that you have to agree with in order to have an emotional response. And it's taking ownership for that, that, you know, it's not the words, as you say, that that are the problem. It's the subconscious belief on some level that, mm-hmm. yeah, I am lazy. I am you know, not pulling my weight. I do deserve to be spoken to this way because the moment you launch into that defense, you know, you don't need a lawyer to go to court for a case that you're not going to agree needs to be, you know, tried. And I think that's the hard turn, but it's also the path to freedom to realize they didn't make you feel anything. You've, you're feeling that way. And if you don't want to feel that way, you have to own the fact that you agreed with it on some level and pull that into consciousness. I mean, how do you work with people? What is your tool or inroad to finding these thoughts that are creating inflammation? So, and this is a lot of the work of the program um, where you are taking ownership of the inflammation. And as a dietitian, I would love to say that science is most of the story, but It's about a 75% ratio of top-down inflammation to bottom-up inflammation, if that makes sense. Let's, let's, let me, let's break that open. Top-down meaning thoughts are creating the inflammation. Bottom-up meaning food or environmental toxins. So what you're saying is 75% of our inflammation is coming from our own self-narrative relationship to self, our mental state. And yeah, I just wanted to break that open. Yeah. Yeah. And I, again, I mean, I studied at UC Davis. I'm very science oriented. I would love to say that the ratio is different, but it's not. It's learning this skill that we're not taught is the thing that changes 
most people's lives when they work with me. And it's that art of bringing your subconscious thoughts to the surface and beginning to inspect them. And that can be as simple as a process of doing a brain dump, right? When maybe you have a trigger, you have a red flag, maybe you have an emotion that's a little bit more strong than others. And then you just take the time to get those thoughts out on paper and you just begin to be witness to your brain. You essentially, you're using your brain to inspect your brain. And we're very unique creatures that we're able to do that. So it's the process of beginning to look at your thoughts on purpose. And the more that you do that, the more those subconscious thoughts are going to become they're going to begin to come to the surface and you're going to be able to audibly hear them in the future instead of just subconsciously reacting to them because a lot of times people are like I don't have I don't have thoughts I just I just act right but there's always a thought driving an action and the more that you are just you know plugging your ears and just going along your day the more you're just falling into that space of reaction which creates that dysregulated nervous system which creates that life that you're not living on purpose but what i challenge my clients to do is just to begin to own the narrative and own the thoughts that they're thinking whether subconscious like with your husband right when you're having that argument and owning the thought that is very deep in there that i'm lazy allowing that to come to the surface, maybe not during a fight, <laughs> right? And you're yeah. doing this work yeah. more in the background so that given more of an emotionally charged circumstance, you're able to choose your emotions on purpose. You're able to audibly hear your thoughts and know how your brain is reacting to these situations. And when you're able to do that, life is a lot more purposeful. It's a lot more conscious and your inflammation is absolutely calmed. It's just this, like your body can finally breathe that sigh of relief. Yeah. And what, if you're listening to this and feeling, okay, that sounds overwhelming, or even what I would have thought is I'm already doing that. I'm well aware of the stuff that I think. And what I want to encourage people with is an analogy that this is truly like a skill and it would be similar to listening to a song and just taking the song in as a song, like a big, broad experience of that song. Or, and you can also train your ear to pay attention to the guitar or to the piano, or to the drum, or to the vocals. Like you can learn to focus in, because I think most of us, our emotional experiences, when we're not conscious and trained in this, it just, it's all happening and it's all overwhelming. We're feeling and we're thinking and we're projecting and we're in the past and we're in the future. And we're not aware of how our brain is processing the information. And so this isn't some deep, spiritual conscious skill where you have to go live in a cave and wear a monk's outfit. <laughs> it's just becoming aware of these little things of, like you said, bringing it up from subconscious into consciousness, maybe just with a brain dump and realizing, oh my God, look at all this stuff I think. It's like printing out a transcript of your brain, pop some popcorn because it is extremely entertaining. And then I think in my experience, sometimes the emotional charge in some of the words loses its intensity because you can just see, oh, I think that and that. It can't all be true. You know, so it's just, we're just moving through time with different thoughts in our head, emotional reactions. And I think when you train your brain to slow that down and pay attention to it, you can pick out the problem thoughts a lot easier. And flick away the ones that are thought errors, right? That maybe is a thought that you've been believing for years. Maybe it's a thought that you adopted from your childhood, from your parents' words, right? But when you start to inspect these thoughts, you can start to notice like, oh, that's not true. That's a total error. That one's not serving me. And you can start to just flick away these thoughts or begin to just kind of watch these thoughts as they kind of come and go and not respond or act on them. And that's kind of that arena of managing your mind and managing the thoughts that you choose to think on purpose. But then the other side of the coin to calming that top-down emotional response 
is to enter into that space where you're feeling your emotions on purpose. Because the human experience is comprised of emotions. And I would argue that's kind of why we're here, is to feel our feelings. And if we are always trying to escape pain, if we're always trying to seek pleasure, if we're always trying to kind of fall into the patterns of the primal brain, we're not really experiencing the entirety of the human experience. Because what if the next version of you needed to feel determination on purpose or courage on purpose or a little dread on purpose? Those emotions, a lot of us run away from. Like when we feel discomfort, we think that something has gone wrong. We try to then fill it with either, you know, a silver lining, you know, like an affirmation where it's just tries to bring some of that positivity to a negative situation, or you would try to escape it, to run away from it. And what I want to challenge people to consider is that maybe feeling on purpose the discomfort of the human experience is also what might change things for you. Because when you can just breathe into grief or you can breathe into a little dread, knowing that nothing's gone wrong, all of a sudden you are almost cutting that emotional response off at the knees. It no longer is going to create that dysregulated body you're just going to allow it to feel the feelings and it'll dissipate and then you can move forward. But when you enter into a life where you're choosing discomfort on purpose, that you're no longer scared of it, you're no longer scared of public speaking because you're willing to feel embarrassed, then that can definitely be a big thing that just opens those doors of opportunity. And It is such a shift from the way I used to live in terms of leaning into my feelings, but I just want to share what it looks like. This morning I was on a walk. My dog has a big cyst on her neck, and so I didn't have a collar or a leash on her. We walk in the same place every day. It's this big wooded preserve. Usually I'm the only one there. This morning I ran into a woman who had I would say she had two dogs on a leash, but I'm going to reframe that and say two dogs had her on a leash (laughs) and they were huge and they were pulling her. And my dog is well-trained. I'm going to go with a 90% good. My dog didn't approach her dogs, but my dog wasn't on a leash. And she was this nice looking, friendly woman about my age. And it would have been nice to have an interaction with her. But instead, she scolded me because my dog wasn't on a leash. And I walked away from that and briefly realized my eyes were stinging with tears. Mm -hmm. And instead of ignoring that or getting in my head about, she just needs to train her dog. My dog's not her problem, her problem. I turned off my podcast and I let the tears come up and I just felt that sensation in my body and I comforted myself like, it's okay. You know, it, it, you probably should have your dog on a leash. It's, that's a little embarrassing and nothing bad happened. This hasn't, nothing has gone wrong. Nothing wrong with her. And it took 30 to 60 seconds. The sensation washed through me. And then I turned my podcast back on and went along on my walk. And in times past, that would have been the first nail in the coffin of my day. And then by ignoring it and going through the day, by the time I get to the evening, I'm stressed out. And, you know, in my world, it would be, okay, now I need to pour a drink because this has been a rotten, shitty day. Yep. And that's that escaping from discomfort that we commonly fall into. So whether it's, you know, avoiding it by saying she's an idiot, she shouldn't have done that, that's avoidance of that feeling. And then the drinking as well is trying to just kind of buffer it away, right? So like you just did. And it's just such a beautiful story that when you do just breathe into that emotion that nothing has gone wrong, 30, 60 seconds instead of this 24 hour cascade. I just acknowledged that I, it hurt my feelings. I felt a little rejected. Like I can do, I, I can feel that. I love when I work with clients to point out, like it is not the thing that you're afraid of. It's how you'll feel if the thing happens or doesn't happen. And when you realize that the only thing you're really afraid of in life is your own reaction to life, what would be possible for you if you weren't afraid to feel embarrassed or rejected? Oh, I can feel that. 
Look, it's, I mean, and, and you probably already know that the neurochemistry takes 90 seconds to flood through our body. If you don't resist it, you can hold your breath for 90 seconds, you know? And yeah. so once you realize this is your superpower so that you are not a chicken running around with your head cut off and that you can actually control how you respond. And I think where we get confused is that I don't want to think that or I don't want to feel that. So, but you can, you just don't have to take it seriously. You don't have to, you know, carry it through as the truth. That's the other thing with truth is once you realize that yesterday's truth is tomorrow's bullshit, your mind changes all the time. You can change it on purpose or you can let it be subconsciously influenced. Like it's your choice, whatever, but there is no truth. There is no true story. Like a story could never be true. It's a story. And so realizing you have the power to rewrite your stories, if you're allowing yourself to feel the uncomfortable truth, move that through, then you clear that space and you can create a different response that eventually becomes a subconscious response, but right. got to build it out over time. It yeah. always hurts my feelings when somebody corrects me for not having my dog on a leash because I'm like, you don't understand. But and that's the thought. Anyway. Right? And but even yeah. that next step is listening because now she what was it? Oh crap, I forgot. Was it she must be right? Or what was the thought you said? She she's right. Or I don't she was right. I should have had my dog on a leash, but I would like some human compassion and some understanding. And I felt rejected and I felt um embarrassed. Mm -hmm. Like I was doing something wrong. You know? And it's just so fun to when you just capture that thought that created that feeling. Yes. It's just such an empowering place to be because no longer did her words impact you. They were yeah. just the thing that triggered you to discover something about yourself. And it could be as simple yes. as just your brain being like, she's right. I shouldn't have my dog on a leaf. And then you're like, oh, wow. That's the thought that created that embarrassment. It had nothing to do with her. And yes. it just releases her from that power over you. Let's say that again. It was not her comment, you should have your dog on a leash, that made me upset. It was my thought, I should have my dog on a leash, and that makes me bad and wrong. That's the thought. I agreed with her <laughs> on some level. Absolutely. And so... So it is, that's the big shift for people listening. It's when you realize it's your own thought, not the words. That's your superpower because then you can move that stuff through. I didn't have to defend. I wanted to chase her and have a conversation, you know, and I was like, no, nope, I can just feel this. I feel well, bad and right what now. Can the happen, tears sprung to my eyes. Yeah. But when you're trying to, because that's, again, that's how some people react and we can just make this a little bit more clear. If you did chase her down and try to have the conversation with her, all you're trying to do is change your external circumstance so that you can mm -hmm. think differently about it. But ultimately, and that's where we kind of get caught because we think that changing the world can change how we feel. That if I can get her to apologize, if I can show her what I, how good my dog is and, you know, tell her how much I've been training and that this dog was safe, then somehow you think that her response is going to change your internal feeling. And that can be a very frustrating place to be because then you have to change your husband to not be an asshole. You have to change your kids to be better in school. You have to change so that you can feel better, but you don't. It's just you have to be aware and on to yourself about the thoughts that you're thinking and begin to decide that narrative on purpose and to find those thoughts that you're currently thinking that you, that you just aren't even aware of, right? Yeah. So I'd like to pivot more into your specialty. I know my listeners are, okay, okay, 75% of my thoughts or 75% of my inflammation and my weight issues are my thoughts and I get it. But I'd like to have you talk about some of the specific thoughts that relate to the behaviors when it comes to we can do food. Like for me with alcohol, one of the things I love to show people in terms of thoughts is 
they think they drink because they just really love to drink. They think that's the problem, mm-hmm. that they're an alcoholic. And I imagine dealing with weight loss, you know, you have people that are like, I just really love cheese or I just love junk food. Like I, I love my ice cream. I love, I have a sweet tooth and there's nothing I can do about that. Can you talk to how you help people get into these specific thoughts where they are clearly a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you think you just love to drink, then cheers, I guess, good luck to you. How do you approach that with food or other behaviors with specific thoughts about their affinity and commitment and identity really around these behaviors? With the relationship with food, and it's a very similar relationship to, you know, whether it be overdoing alcohol, overdoing food, eating the wrong types of food, maybe drinking the wrong types of alcohol. It's all kind of that similar story where we are trying to create a feeling. We're using an external thing to try to manipulate our internal emotional environment, right? So whether it be a cheeseburger, we're not eating a cheeseburger. Every single person on this planet knows that we're not eating a cheeseburger in order to nourish our bodies, We're eating a cheeseburger to nourish our tongues and our taste buds and to get that dopamine, that chemical high that we get to experience from experiencing delicious food or experiencing alcohol, that chemical release. So what I just help my clients to understand is that there's a essentially like a break-in period, right? Because with your dopamine and with your neurochemical cycles, it takes a hot second to balance those because with dopamine specifically, right? When you eat a cookie, when you have alcohol, you're getting this release of dopamine. And when you're constantly going after that, then that dopamine peak just gets bigger and bigger and you need more and more to satiate that need. But then with dopamine it's going to have a period to resettle. And when you get that thing, it's going to have this very rapid, it's like a drop, right? And you don't just go to your baseline, you go under your baseline. So it can take a little bit to rebalance your system into more of that neurochemical neutrality. So you want Mm -hmm. to just first allow yourself the space to see what's happening in the first place. That when you do have a cookie, when you do have a cheeseburger, know that you're going to have a dopamine trough after you're done. You're going to want more. You're going to seek it more. So the first step in that process to kind of break that pattern is just to pull it out of your system and allow your body just to balance naturally. And then only from that space where you have more of a balanced brain can then you make those decisions of what you want to eat, what you want to drink on purpose. Because when you're in that cycle of brain chemistry, of course you're not going to be able to use your adult brain to decide whether you want to eat or drink or like you're just going to be stuck in that pattern of desire. But only Mm -hmm. when you kind of find that balance point can then you decide, okay, am I a person who wants to drink alcohol? Why? And figuring out your reasons, right? Because maybe you're under the illusion that I just love the taste of it, which some people do. But then it's, okay, if I'm a person who wants to have alcohol two, two times a week, what is the downside? What's the upside? And you just start to have that conscious conversation with yourself of deciding what you're wanting to eat and drink on purpose. And then that next step deeper though, is going through a food protocol, is finding that space of symptom-free living because sometimes people are eating foods, right, to, to cover up an emotional experience or to try to pursue an emotional experience. But sometimes people are just eating foods because they don't know what else to eat different. And they're kind of stuck in this pattern of like thinking that their symptoms are associated maybe with aging. 
or that like I mm-hmm. just have these aches and pains and this is what I've eaten my whole life and this is what culture tells me is good and this is what I'm going to have. But like when you break down that space and you find through a food protocol where we are understanding what's provoking your immune system, where we're understanding what's creating these symptoms and we find that space of what your body is actually supposed to feel like, that again is that next step deeper of that space of neutrality because then you can decide, do I even want this cheeseburger or this glass of wine Mm -hmm. anymore? Because now I feel the actual symptomatic response that's created from this food. Whereas before, it's more like a noisy room. Like you don't really feel the symptoms that are created from these experiences that you're kind of indulging in. But when you get to that space where you're like, I love the way that my body feels. And when I drink a glass of wine, I don't feel good. I feel the brain inflammation. I feel the achy joints. I notice my ability to recover from workouts. And you start to really feel the impact of your decisions. That's when making those positive changes just becomes a hell of a lot easier because you're not doing it out of willpower and like from a space of, I love this food and I can't have it. It's more that peaceful place where it's, I don't even want that wine. I don't even want that cheeseburger. What I want is to feel good all the days of my life. Okay. So now I have a question about your experience with people long-term in what I'm going to, you know, I have in my prior existence as a coach before I did alcohol, I was all things nutrition and helped people move through elimination diets. You know, we talked about, or you spoke of testing and figuring out which foods are triggering. It is my impression that a lot of, not all, but a lot of things are long-term recoverable. Like you may have to give up soy and wheat and dairy for a period of time because you have to repair function, maybe the leaky gut, reduce the inflammation, get balanced with your micro micronutrients, get your dopamine set. But that sometimes once you return once your body moves into a state of healing and sustainable wellness and homeostasis, that long-term you may be able to live a more moderate life because you're starting from a balanced place. And I know with my own relationship with alcohol, I went three years without drinking. My experience of drinking now is completely different because I'm not drinking on a dysregulated nervous system or a dopamine deficit or not understanding how to feel my emotions. Like it's not at all the same. And so I have the freedom to decide if and when and how much I want to drink Mm -hmm. based on, okay, am I feeling like sometimes I take one sip and I can feel it like inflaming in my eyelids and I'm like, nope. (laughs) And then other times it feels great. But I, I respond to my body in real time with foods like more or less better or worse. Like it's just, but I'm starting from a place of wellness. So my question is when you work with people who have lifelong chronic inflammation, lots of weight loss that they are wanting or needing to do, they're micro deficient. Maybe they have other autoimmune disorders that have kicked in. Plus their minds are a hot mess. Do you see people able to kind of drop the hyper focus on the specific food or whatever, and just go back to normal living at some point? What does that look like? What's a timeline? Is it possible? And I argue that it happens within four to six weeks. It is a very quick transition into that space where you're consciously choosing how you want to live and you're able to feel that difference. You're no longer, you know, I guess, victim to the food or the alcohol or the circumstances of your life. You just step into your own power and it turns into this, it is a lifelong switch. It's om- it is like the lights are being turned on where you're able to see that you're finally able to make those decisions on purpose, that you don't have to have a cookie when it's in the room, that you don't have to have fries if they're warm and at the table. You get to then choose if I want to have those things 
or not. And it's not just going to eat you away emotionally and it's not going to be this state of deprivation. It's just a much more conscious and peaceful place to live in. And it's, it is a very quick transition. Yeah. I find the same thing too. When you go upstream and solve the, the source of the problem, 75% of which is in your mind, then the downstream corrections really snowball in, in a good way. Absolutely. Carly, I so appreciate you being here. Can you tell my listeners where to find you and how to reach you? Yeah, it's uh, yourlivinghealth.com is my website. I do have a podcast uh, really helping to articulate and help listeners to start that transition of owning that mental health space. Um, immediately in regards to inflammation. So my podcast can be found there, uh, you know, Instagram, Facebook handles, Your Living Health. That's where I can be found. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Colleen. Thank you for listening. So I put Carly's information in the show notes and also in the show notes is a link to register for my masterclass that I'm doing on Thursday on the eight core principles of my accelerated recovery process that will not only help you get out of alcohol use disorder, which just means you drink more than you think you should be drinking. It's a thinking problem, not a drinking problem, but teach you the eight core skills that you have to master so that you can change the way you think. And I wanna be very honest with you, changing the way you think is going to be the hardest thing you've ever done. This is a marathon, not a sprint. You are changing your lifestyle. This is not a temporary strategy or a diet or some sort of reset. It's a personality makeover. One of my favorite books out there is Joe Dispenza's Break the Habit of Being Yourself. And yeah, that's the habit that you need to focus on. But like any habit, it can change quickly when you know what you're doing. There is a world, a reality of difference between controlling your behavior with willpower so that you can prove to others and to yourself that I'm okay, and actually knowing how to take care of yourself even when you or the circumstance is not okay. You know, you can't escape these cycles of self-sabotage after some period of time that your brain qualifies you as being good or good enough. The only way to escape the cycles of self-sabotage, whether it's with alcohol or food or relationships or finances or whatever, is to start where you are and change how you treat yourself when you feel bad. You must do the work to change your relationship with yourself and your emotions because None of the problems are actually the problems. They're just the logistics and the details that you have to deal with. Your coping skills are the problem. Most of us think that emotional intelligence and our ability to cope with life is our ability to control our behavior for the sake of optics and productivity and, you know, I guess gold stars on the refrigerator. Most of us have no idea what it means to manage our mind other than distracting ourselves from those intrusive thoughts. And my joy, my passion in life is watching women change their relationship with their anxiety, learning how to interpret the stress response signals from their body as a call to self-care, not to double down and work harder and deprive themselves even more. And how quickly my clients are able to achieve the behaviors that they want by changing their relationship to their own thoughts and emotions. So if you wanna learn more about those eight skills that work synergistically together, you need all eight, then get in the show notes and sign up for the my Accelerated Recovery Process Masterclass that I'm doing on Thursday. Also in the show notes is a link to my secret podcast, which as I've explained before, isn't really a podcast. It's a course called the Foundations of Emotional Sobriety. It's completely free and it's one of the best things I've ever created. It's an audio course with eight to 10 minute lessons and a full workbook that you can print out and work through on your own time and then go through the lessons again and again because one of my superpowers as a coach is high level questions 
quality of your life is determined by the quality of the questions that you're asking yourself because your brain is going to solve whatever questions you're doing. And if you're subconsciously wondering what the hell is wrong with you, your brain is just constantly generating a list of what is wrong with you, as well as a companion list of who the hell's fault it is. And you change your life, you change your relationship with yourself by changing your self-narrative and by asking bigger and better questions that that actually serve you when you find the answers. So that secret podcast is called The Foundations of Emotional Sobriety. You can get in the show notes there. That is a great way to work with me for absolutely free. And The Foundations of Emotional Sobriety is a great place to start, whether you're dealing with alcohol as an issue or anything else, because it's not about the alcohol. It's about changing how you think instead of getting in the weeds about what you think. So Both of those are in the show notes. I thank you for listening. My intention is to put out another podcast this week. It might be an interview. It might be a quick solo episode. I don't know. It'll be a surprise for both of us. I'll see you soon.